Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram, I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon, and you can support us on there at patreon.com slash I Love That Movie. And I want to take a moment to thank our top patrons, and they are Chris Balga, Michael Cross, Philip Barker, and Jeff Widman. I want to take a moment to thank our top patrons, Chris Balga, Michael Cross, Philip Barker, and Jeff Widman. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. Um, and right now, we are currently reviewing WandaVision. And we've got a website. And as always, guys, if you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. And I have a guest with me here today. I have Cody. Say hi, Cody. Hello, and thank you so much, Lisa. It's an honor to be on the show. I have been a fan of the web, the Facebook group since I've been invited by a friend, Samantha Grace. And I love seeing the content that's posted both on Facebook and Twitter. So it's a real honor for you to ask me to be on the show today. Oh, for sure. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And it's my pleasure to be here. And Cody, since you are, I think you're new to the show, right? You haven't been on an episode yep. yet. I feel like I talk with you all the time, though. <laughs> yeah, first time on the show. Uh, yeah, we do. I do try to correspond a lot on the Facebook page because uh, you know, as of 2020 with the pandemic, a lot of people picked up hobbies uh, like making bread or learning to cook. I picked up podcasting, so... I've been trying to get more active, and we're trying to start a podcast of my own called Video Store Rejects, where we look at directors' filmographies, and hopefully our Miyazaki series will be up next month, and you graciously came in and talked with Princess Mononoke with me on that. Yeah, thank you so much, and um, that was really a lot of fun. Um I think that's such a great idea to have those retrospectives and to kind of go through each each uh, movie that that person has put out. So I really I like I dig that. And any chance to talk Princess Mononoke, I'm down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but today on this show, uh, you know, my guest always picks a movie. What movie did you choose to talk about? Today? Uh, I chose to talk about Paul Verhoeven's sci-fi action satire masterpiece, RoboCop. Yes, and we are, like you said, talking about the 1987 version. Yes, and I'm, I'm <laughs> glad original. when you posted, because I, I didn't specify, so I figured you knew which one I meant. I was glad when you posted doing research it wasn't the remake, because I was like, I'm not watching that again. I almost asked you, but I thought, surely he's talking about the one we all know and love, <laughs> the original. So, yeah, yeah good. I, I would have reached out if I was worried, but... I, I felt like I had a good idea of which one you were talking about. 
Um, you know, before we get too much further in, I am going to read a quick recap. Uh, as always, guys, these shows are not spoiler-free, so you want to make sure you go watch the movie first and come back and then hear us talk about it. So here we go, the plot to Robocop. In a violent, near-apocalyptic Detroit, uh, an evil corporation, Omni Consumer Products, wins a contract from the city government to privatize the police force. To test their crime-eradicating cyborgs, the company leads uh, street cop Alex Murphy into an armed confrontation with a crime leader, Lord Boddicker, so that they can use his body to support their untested Robocop prototype. But when Robocop learns of the company's nefarious plans, he turns on his masters. Yep. Yeah, that sums the movie <laughs> up. I mean, it's pretty much as it is. But what I love about this movie, and it kind of, each time I watch it, I pick up more because when I initially saw this movie as, I think, an 11-year-old boy, just the general concept of the film is enough for me, right? A robot cop fighting crime. Ultra we, you know, my husband and I, yeah, we're talking about it last night about how he's like, I would go over to sleepovers and we just throw this on. I mean, we purely loved how violent and how many times I say the word fuck. And so it was like 99% of the appeal for like a young boy or a young girl is like, you know, I'm not really supposed to watch rated R. It's super violent. Like it, it really appealed. Like I hear that story a lot where people that grew up with it just have such a, a, a love on a different level. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like something forbidden. And I had very uh, relaxed parents. I was the baby of four children, and so I had older parents. So part of that's probably because they're like, yeah, whatever, as long as you're not... <laughs> He'll be fine. As long as you're not out <laughs> murdering people and getting into trouble, we don't really care. But I think they're both appreciator of the arts, and they are... Um, if you're mature enough, because I had seen the Terminator films at this point, and I knew what RoboCop, like I'd heard of it because I'd seen ads for, I think, the third one in comic books, and I knew there was a television series. But yeah, just the extreme violence, and just it's like a young preteen boy's dream right there, and like something <laughs> forbidden. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of quick facts too that I wanted to share. I think it's gonna it's gonna touch on a few things about this movie that that I think are really interesting. Uh, the first one was that it was discovered when in full RoboCop costume, Peter Weller could not fit properly into the police car because he was too bulky. So that's why many of the shots show him exiting the car or preparing to get into it. For shots where he's actually needed to be in the car, he only wore like the top half of the costume. Um, and I remember like when we were watching it again, Nick had pointed that out. Um, but yeah, it's funny to go back and look at this costume. Now I think it looks great, but it, it does look like like we were thinking like it does look like plastic. It does not look like metal in a modern day under a modern day lens. But I love the pearlescent finish of it. I love how much time and care went into making it. And I mean, regardless, even if it doesn't look quote unquote realistic, it definitely it, it makes the movie feel like a time capsule because this is like something that, you know, came out in the 80s and keeps that 80s aesthetic, of course. And so just love everything about it. But yeah, it's interesting when you watch kind of behind the scenes on especially older movies, the they don't seem to care that much uh, whether or not the actor is comfortable. <laughs> yeah. It's not on the forefront. I'm glad that we are, I would say, still slowly, because we still hear about issues with production, but we are starting to be a little more concerned about cast and crew's comfortability and <laughs> safety and 
making the film. But yeah, RoboCop looks great as a character on screen, even 30 plus years later. I think it's mm-hmm. funny you mentioned that the suit is so bulky, even with Peter Weller, because you know who the studios r- wanted for this part, which, I mean, he looks... Who? They wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger, who looks like a robot. That's impossible. He looks like RoboCop <laughs> without the metal, right? Like, it would he'd look like a sumo wrestler in that, that get-up. I said that last night that I think part of the reason why they have to go with someone like Peter Weller is because he's so thin. Like I was telling Nick, it it also sort of dates the film in a way that I feel like, I don't know, it's almost like they don't hire actors that thin anymore. I don't, I don't know how to word that correctly, but it's like everyone has to have like a six pack now and be like a big dude. Um, But it really works for this movie particularly because he has to be in that suit. It's kind of like, you know, you always hire Doug Jones to be a creature because he's like, the only guy spindly enough to like fit into any costume you create for him. Um, But yeah, I could see, I mean, you know, attitude wise, he does kind of come off as sort of like a Arnold Schwarzenegger like character, but yeah, he wouldn't fit into that suit. Let's be honest. That would be a giant, he would look like, I don't know, the the juggernaut or something. I mean, it's too big. He would be, it looks like a mech suit if he wears Uh, it. Like, yeah. If you know one thing, some things about Paul Verhoeven as a director. One, all of his movies are extremely ultra-violent, usually ultra-sexual, too, (laughs) especially his Dutch films, which kind of gets him run out of the country and he starts making American films. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. I did see, like, he directed, like, you know, Showgirls, Stormtroopers, Basic Instinct, Total Recall, um, you know, so he does kind of, it, it seems like he leans that way. He went over here, I guess, because we, we played to his strengths. <laughs> yeah. And I think he wanted to try and see if he could make it as a Hollywood director. And the other thing is Verhoeven is obsessed with like the Jesus allegory, which you could be say it's stretching in this movie, but it's certainly kind of there. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he comes back to life. Yeah, I could totally see that. I, I did read one of my other facts was that the screenplay was offered to him and he actually rejected it initially. Um, and pretty much every director in Hollywood like rejected well, it. Right, because, <laughs> but he threw it. Sorry, yeah. Because on face value, <laughs> oh, no, you fine. read this script and it's just another cheesy action 80s movie of that era. Right. It The plot is like any is which I often refer to this film as the ultimate 80s action film because of what it does. But the screenwriter sent it back to him and was like, read the subtext of what's in the script. And he he still didn't like it. And then his wife's like, no, 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 no. Look, there's, there's, there's more here than what's on paper. And that's what I was getting at is like each time I watch it, I find more because of the subtext of this film. It is basically satirizing those 80s movies that we grew up watching, like the Stallone, Schwarzenegger, those type of movies. And it's also satirizing the error of the time because we have, you know, the Reaganomics of consumerism going Mm -hmm. on. Uh, gender the war on drugs it feels like a little totally bit, yeah. the war on drugs the gentrification of old neighborhoods i mean this even though this movie is dated and you know it's made in the 80s there's a lot going on that feels relevant today the militarization of the police yes. the uh corporations owning everything 
Yeah, if anything, it only feels more relevant today. Um, I, I read, I didn't include it as one of my quick facts, but I also saw that like in the movie, uh, you know, Detroit files for bankruptcy, and then that does happen later in real life. So just kind of predicting things that are to come. Um, going back to the suit a little bit too, I had read that it was the most expensive item on the whole set. Uh, the price range kind of varies. Uh, they spent anywhere from like 500000 to a million, depending on you know, where you get your reporting from. But um, you can tell, you know, like we, we talked about earlier, I think I just keep going back to the suit because I like cosplay, but um, I think it's impressive. And, and I especially love a scene later in the movie that I guess is not the suit so much as special effects, but we'll get into that. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree with you too about the script because um, especially watching it as an adult, I, I watch it under a different lens. Like as a kid, loved you know, the violence, um, how shocking it is, the action, you know, stuff kids like. And then as you get older, like, especially that first scene uh, where the robot turns on that corporate meeting and just the blasé attitude towards that guy's death. I mean, it's funny. There's no way you can read that as anything but funny. And there's a lot of hyper-violent, ridiculous. I mean, even when our hero becomes RoboCop, the way that he oh dies. Oh my God, like, that's so extreme. Funny, you know. Like, and <laughs> what's funny about this movie is, you know, nowadays, you, usually the copy you find is the unrated cut, but, you know, they, oh, there really? was an R-rated cut of this movie, but, like, when you pick it up on DVD or Blu-ray, usually it's the unrated cut, and, but it is really violent. Like, you see his hand blow, like, come off his body when they shoot him, and, like, this movie is extra, <laughs> yeah. as they say, as far as like it's extreme, right? Like, and they're doing it right. purposefully to be a little satirical, but like how much they shoot him is like extreme. Like, okay, the guy's dead, but <laughs> what Paul. I love in the first scene, too, when they're like, let's check his pulse. And it's like, okay, come on. <laughs> he's not, he's not right. Alive. And like, then what gone. Paul Verhoeven <laughs> wanted to do. To mess with audiences, because I think it's about, what, 20, 30 minutes into the film when he dies? Maybe less? Mm -hmm. Because it's pretty fast. Yeah, he dies pretty quick. But, like, when they get to that hospital scene and they're like, call it, he wanted the screen to be black for, like, a good 20, 30 seconds so people would think the movie was over. (laughs) He wanted like a Kubrick moment. <laughs> right. People are like, no, they, you can't do that. They need to know because, you know, because he wanted them to wait until it got to his uh, face screen. Uh, well, yeah, especially like the, um, you know, the people that come to see these types of films may not be the most patient. <laughs> so uh, I could I could see them pushing back on that. But the face screen stuff, you know, I watched um, a video the other day about like the history of cyberpunk and film because I was talking on Tim Rooney's show uh, the anything goes podcast about Akira and uh, you know they cite this movie obviously as a big influence but I think like they said the first like screen thing that a robot sees ever was actually done in uh, Westworld the Westworld movie and you can definitely feel a lot of influence from that movie to this one and on Terminator as well but especially like the look that Peter Weller has later when uh, he is Robocop and when he takes the mask off I'm like it it looks a lot like that character from Westworld and so I just thought about that I love the way that his uh, computer 
you know, every time we see it through RoboCop's eyes, what he's seeing, I, I love all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's not much I don't love about this movie, and yeah, all of that's just top notch. I've never seen Westworld, so I guess you're referring to the Yul Brenner character. Yes, okay. yes, yes. The the guy the 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 evil, uh, you know, robot that decides to start hunting everybody right. I, i've never <laughs> seen the movie version so that's a blind spot. i don't think i've seen the movie version either but i've seen a lot of clips <laughs> but he looks like he kind of looks like ed harris like i feel like in the new Westworld show they kind of cast him to kind of look like as a callback to that yeah i think but, so i think yeah so. and then the t2000 kind of looks like him too in terminator 2 mm-hmm yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. so, it's a big influence or T1000. Yeah, on yeah. all these movies. <laughs> uh, getting back to that boardroom scene, this scene plays heavily <laughs> in my mind all the time because if you ever go on a crosswalk, you know where it says, wait, wait. It always reminds me of Ed 209 for some reason. It's like, you have 20 <laughs> seconds to comply. And then, like, you... I love that it's stop motion too. Oh yeah! Like that's another hallmark of this era. It's like you. I don't think, I don't think I've ever seen another sci-fi film where they, it's like stop motion quite that obviously. You know what I mean? Like it. I'm used to seeing that in sort of like a Harryhausen style with like a a big dinosaur or something. But I, I thought that was interesting watching that. Part. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's some obvious other stop motion parts in the movie but yeah i agree with you i love how they're just like yep we're using stop motion animation and it was probably <laughs> for the cost to keep the cost down but yeah when i oh when yeah, you go that on that sense. a lot of crosswalks when you're crossing the street they make this noise it's like <laughs> like when it changes from walk to <laughs> oh yeah that clicking <laughs> so it makes me think of this boardroom scene where like this guy gets mowed <laughs> down like to death and then people are like get a paramedic it's like no dude he's he's dead he's dead and then they're like don't touch him like what's it gonna do he's not going anywhere and no one gets in trouble for that i feel like there'd be a huge lawsuit if uh uh right if, uh, an employee got brutally murdered at a board meeting the most emotional response is uh, their boss saying that he's disappointed. Right. I mean, he's just disappointed. He's not, like, sad that his friend is dead. He's just disappointed. And then it immediately becomes, like, this almost American psycho-ish power play between the suits where they're like, well, I've got a better idea, and I can do it for cheaper, and we can do it right now. And um, he's like, I'm listening. Maybe we need to go for some young blood. And, like, just all the, like, kind of corny corporation tropes that we've all come to know and love but done very well <laughs> yeah um so this movie there's probably part of it because of the cost of the suit this movie is filled with a bunch of actors that if you're a movie fan you're like oh that person what's his face mm -hmm. that guy this movie's filled with those character yeah, actors these, yeah <laughs> movies chock full of character actors that a lot of people probably wouldn't know their names but I think what makes this movie distinctly a little bit better, even though I love Starship Troopers just as much, and it's probably even more heavy on the satire than this one. Oh, for sure. Is that I think all the actors in this movie get what this script is going for. Like, they get what this movie is. They know that it's not as serious as it might appear on paper. Like, there's more to it than just the plot. 
Yes, they definitely like ham it up and enjoy themselves in the roles. Like particularly, um, the uh, I call him Red Foreman. What's that actor's name? Uh, Kurt Woodsmith <laughs> from that '70s which, show. Kurt Woodsmith. Funny, yeah. I guess I saw this because I'm old enough to have saw this um, before that '70s show hit, or I just watched it before that '70s show hit. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, it's the bad guy from RoboCop. That's what I know Kurtwood Smith from, but I know that for many people, he's Red Foreman, the dad. So that probably is, like, shocking for some people to see him in this role. But he's <laughs> having a total blast being a scumbag in this movie. And I heard that a lot of the stuff he does was improvised. Like, a lot of the lines and a lot of the random things he does on screen was not in the script. Like, he was... He was improvising on the spot. Yeah, there's something about him where it's like he does this incredible blend of like, I mean, his line delivery and the things he's saying are so cheesy and so over the top, but he still can come across as like threatening, even though he's not like a big dude and he looks kind of like nerdy, you know, but he... I don't know. He's really, really good in this role. I was like, he must have like inspired like Cypher from the Matrix. And like, I don't know. I could even see Brian Cranston looking back to this villain uh, when he was in Breaking Bad to draw some inspiration from. I don't know. He just he embodies this character really well. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that he did a lot of improvising. I believe it. Yeah, because if you look at him, he looks like a an accountant, right? He's, he's exactly. got thinning hair, <laughs> balding, he wears glasses. Like, that's not your typical drug dealer crime boss look. But, yeah, he comes off very threatening. And, um, yeah, he might be the best performance in the movie, but I think everybody... I think this movie's filled with some top-notch talent, and they're all in on the joke here. Yeah, and now I may be asking something that is, you know, obvious to others, or, you know, maybe I'm reaching here, I don't know. But it, it feels like the whole aesthetic of it and look of it feels very, very similar to Judge Dredd. Am I correct in assuming that i would i mean i don't know 100 percent if that's correct but it does certainly feel like it's kind of playing in that territory with a little more satire i'm not as fully familiar with the judge dread comics i just know the two movies but i mean the concept of the character the kind of the, the yeah. world the kind of militarization of the police uh yeah, like the the not seeing, you know, most of their face and then also his his uh his partner kind of reminds me of one of the characters in like the newer film, which I think is closer to the comics. Um it it feels like and and even, you know, Dread is like was a, a British comic, but it was all set in America. It's like how they view America, which, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I understand. <laughs> um, and so it, it almost feels like they took some of those elements from that comic and just fleshed it out. Um, but somebody out there knows and they can correct me if I'm Yeah, I would be off, surprised off if it, because this certainly has a comic book movie feel before. It does. Before that was a thing, because, right, this is the late 80s. We hadn't really had. Mm -hmm. Not even Batman 1989 yet. Which is also another lead actor in an action film that's skinny. There was something about, you know, the 80s, 90s uh, leading male aesthetic. It was like very like and I told it because like they look like like Seinfeld. Like there's a lot of guys that kind of had that look, uh, the hair, 
the you know body type and so yeah it's like it, it definitely puts the movie sort of like in a specific time and place for sure so talk talking about officer ann lewis played by nancy allen who i think does a pretty good job and the thing i like about this movie is that murphy robocop so their relationship remains platonic. They're friends, right? They're partners. They're friends. Mm-hmm. They don't try to turn this into a romance that I think a lesser script would have done. Yeah, it's not really necessary. I kind of felt like there was a, a conscious effort in the movie to have like the other police officers. Like I think his boss. Uh, I think it's the chief in the movie. You know, he's uh, you know he's a black man, and then his his uh, partner is a woman, you know, like they're trying to sort of, I think, make the police department reflect more of a reality than just having like a bunch of like brawny dudes in the police department. You yeah. Know? You even um, have that are all white the men you know? and women in the same locker room, which gets even more yeah. extreme in a uh, starship troopers where they're showering together. But again, this is right. Verhoeven. Right. Like what's the difference? <laughs> the, the, so, yeah, that's kind of weird, right, though, looking at it at face value, like seeing men and women shirtless in the same room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's taboo over here. So it's like, but it's, yeah, it's sort of saying, hey, you know, they're, they're colleagues, true colleagues. But yeah, that's true. I, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I think maybe that's another thing that kind of reminded me a little bit of the dread movie where he also you know he's like training a cadet i think and they don't have any sort of romantic relationship she's blonde as well and small and like there's like some parallels maybe that is a love letter to robocop i don't know but um but yeah that, that is interesting she's not really a love interest she's just a friend which i agree i like that this movie doesn't need a romance it's got a lot of tropes going on i think a romance on top of it would be just too much much. (laughs) so what do you think of her last line though after when they defeat all the bad guys and she's like i'm a mess like that's probably not needed (laughs) right like why would she be worried about (laughs) probably not yeah after all that i'm a mess because it's an 80s movie maybe i don't know i guess so (laughs) but yeah another great character actress who's mostly known for working in brian diploma films because they were married but as i said this movie's chock full of those kind of guys like um ronnie cox the guy who plays the evil corporate ocp guy he was mostly known for playing nice guys before this movie, and he's such a evil guy. Like, he's more threatening to me than <laughs> Kurtwood Smith. Oh, for sure. Like, uh, he, his motives are just worse. Like, he's more sinister. At least the, uh, you know, the other guy is, like, self-serving, a baddie. But this guy's like, it just seems a little bit more deep-seated and evil. It must be so fun getting, like, when you're, like, you know, one of these older guys in your 50s and 60s, like getting to play this role must be just like super fun. Because, you know, in real life, they're actors. They never, they never, you know, ran any big corporations. But I bet it's a fun, it's fun to probably play those kind of bad yeah, guys. Yeah, uh, getting back to Kurtwood Smith, I just love how he emphasizes his first name. Look at my face, dick. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they really emphasize that as that's his name. Yes. And, um go ahead uh miguel ferrer rest in peace he is playing like the typical 80s wall street douchebag the guy who funds or starts the robocop program but he's great too in this Mm -hmm. yeah i I, yeah exactly he's 
And, you know, the setup for how, you know, he's like, oh, we're already in progress. We've already got this going. And then you see later, it seems like they literally murder someone in order to get the project off the ground. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely like your typical 80s oh, I bad think, guy. I, I think that's deliberate that Murphy gets... Uh transferred to that precinct because they look at his profile and as you see as the, the oh. type of guy and cop he is they're like well of course this guy would run into danger and he'll probably get himself killed because yeah true because like, they're like yeah we just need some poor schmuck to because like i think they ran like profiles of police officers to see who would fit the profile oh yeah that's true uh, now peter weller i you know, I, I actually tweeted out yesterday because I was just thinking about it after watching this movie. I'm like, I really like him in this. And I also like him in another cult classic that I enjoy in uh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just enjoy him as an actor. I, I like the stuff that he does. And recently he was in or I saw a movie he was in recently because I was watching Star Trek Beyond and he has a role in that movie. Wasn't it too. Into was Darkness like, he's in? Oh, Into Darkness. You're right. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, he's a he's an interesting guy because it's like he never really became a big star, but he has like three really big cult film roles under yes, his belt. Yes. He has this Bonsai and uh, Cronenberg's The Naked Lunch. Naked Lunch, yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's a professor at UCLA. He has a PhD in <laughs> Italian Renaissance or something. Like, he's, oh, he's really? Dr. Robocop. I mean, he probably wouldn't want to be called that, but uh, <laughs> there we go. I did not know that. That doesn't surprise me, though. Like, he has all these weird, quirky roles, but under all that, he's just like, an academic man. <laughs> I kind of like that. Yeah, and I read somewhere, heard somewhere that, like, he figured out how to move the RoboCop movements. Like, he got coaching from a mime. Oh, that's a good idea, actually. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like, they would be really good at movement and understanding how to, you know, uh, make that aesthetic look really good. I love yeah, that. Yeah, because I think they were trying to go for something a little more fast and loose, like, spider-man and they're like no you're a robot you got to be a little more slow like clunky yeah. <laughs> but talking about the shock and awe of this violence um i uh showed this movie to a few years ago when my we were getting married me and my wife were getting married um when she had her bachelorette party i had to watch my stepdaughters and nephews and so we did a movie marathon and we were watching mostly culty funny movies like, we watched Scott Pilgrim, we watched the 2011 The Muppets, and Flash Gordon, and I showed them this movie, because they were all teenagers, you know, they weren't little yeah, kids. Yeah, like prime age for Robocop. Right. <laughs> and uh, when it got to the scene where the whole driving montage where he's fighting crime for the first time, where those two guys try to uh, rape this woman, and Robocop shoots the attempted rapist in the penis... My oldest stepdaughter was like, <gasps> like, she was shocked that that happened on screen. Whereas <laughs> me, I'm like, yeah, he shot a rapist in the in the penis. Go RoboCop. <laughs> That's so funny. Two different reactions because, too, I feel like you don't really see that level of like, I don't know. That's so over the top. 
Um, you know, in real life, if you're shooting somebody, probably shoot them. If you're trying to disable them, maybe in the arm or something, not quite so on the nose, but yeah, she's probably right to be shocked. And we're, we've, be, we've become desensitized from watching. Right. This. Right. We have, because we've seen so much violence on, on screen. And I mean, to talk about how extra this movie is where that guy robs the, um, liquor store convenience store he's got a uzi in his jacket he can't hide a uzi in his jacket <laughs> there's no way <laughs> but i also love how robocop's just like ma'am you have suffered a crisis uh you're an emotional shock let me call a rape center crisis for help like he's just like okay you're in trouble like nonchalant yeah very nonchalant yeah or that scene where that guy's like essentially melting oh um. i forget that actor's <laughs> name there's another character actor but he was on er but yeah like when he gets into the toxic waste and he becomes a toxic yes Avenger. which is also like a 80s thing you know maybe if, if you didn't grow up in the 80s you don't know but it's like toxic waste was just like constantly talked about and on everyone's mind like all the time um, and in a lot of films, I mean, it's how the turtles came about. Right, the you know? turtles, the Joker. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah, it was like everybody. It's like everybody's <laughs> origin story is you got put in toxic waste or chemicals, and it turned you into a superhero <laughs> or something. But yeah, he's like melting. He's like, help me, and just like the way he's like hamming it up, and how gross he looks, and the way the other guys just like. Mm, no which the other like, guy actor and then he uh, gets run over yeah the other <laughs> guy awesome. who's like don't touch me man ray wise he was swamp thing yeah or was oh well, he wasn't in the makeup for swamp thing that's a different actor but he was uh dr oh, gotcha. arcane before or whatever his name is oh, I, I sorry to swamp thing super fans out there i know i don't know either but the doctor <laughs> who becomes swamp thing and most people yeah. probably know him from either Twin Peaks or a short-lived show Reaper, but he's another, mm-hmm. he played the devil on Reaper, uh, but he's another one of those long line of character actors who's had a lot of roles, uh, even though he's playing a fairly small role here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 whole sequence is, is great, um, and it's just fun seeing people get run over and exploded. <laughs> I guess is how I would phrase how <laughs> he just one guy up, needs the, the toxic waste <laughs> guy just gets ran over and he's like he's just like crap on a on the windshield. Yes, I was like I, again moments where I mean it's really fun action, but you're also like laughing because it's so it's so over the top, but it's like f- a fun over the top. Um, it, it also I think makes it less. I mean, even though it's violent, it's like it's so unbelievable that you feel safe and comfortable, just like appreciating it rather than like cringing you know right me and my (laughs) wife were talking about this because my parents are huge fans of not particularly this kind of film but they're huge fans of those action films of that era and they love like bad people getting their comeuppance right and yeah talking about it and like because some movies have that but it's more realistic and i'm like there's a little bit of difference in the violence when it's over the top and cartoony like this i agree for when it's more realistic like something in taxi driver or i haven't seen promising young woman but i saw your tweet about it and oh yeah like yeah it's it's um yeah actually that I don't want to give anything away, but it's actually not, probably not as violent as you would think. Oh, yeah. 
there's there's sort of a there's a curveball. I'll leave it at cool. that. Cool. <laughs> but you know, when things are presented more realistically, it. it like you have a little more hard time kind of watching what you're seeing because it's uncomfortable. Right. But when it's presented in this movie as is over the top, like that would never happen in real life. Like no one would get shot five billion times by machine guns and still be breathing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or yeah, or explode or melt. Yeah, I mean just yeah, everything that happens is so over the top and it's it makes it to where you can kind of distance yourself and enjoy it. And it and like you said before, it's sort of satirizing uh you know i think this movie satirizing like vigilante films in general pointing out some of the sort of cheesiness and lack of depth that a lot of those have uh because we talked earlier about like the you know there's a scene with a lot of cocaine and the way that the cocaine's treated and the way that people interact with it it really feels like i mean i have never personally done cocaine but i just don't it doesn't come across as very realistic no i <laughs> like don't think especially the know. scene with miguel ferrer and the two models before he gets killed oh, yeah i don't think you could consume that much cocaine like in one city yeah it's like i'm no expert but <laughs> like but yeah that, that whole realistic. drug bus scene robocop does like i feel like cocaine's everywhere in that scene yeah it's the, the movie's extra. It's like it's completely satirizing these movies that were very popular at the time. You know, we had Charles Bronson, Chuck Norris movies, all these vigilante, mm-hmm. go- even Dirty Harry. You know, it's kind of satirizing all these movies that had become popular and some would even argue are kind of right wing leaning of beliefs of how to fight crime. You know, like, oh, we got to. Yeah. We gotta, absolutely (laughs) like the bad guys are always minorities and the cops are the heroes and that's kind of what's different about robocop right because yes the the cop himself and his partner and some people in the department are good but the overall concept of the cops becoming militarized is bad i mean it's presented as bad so i heard that they were worried it would actually offend cops because it is so anti certain things uh, but they actually really liked it, probably because they they felt that way. Like, you know, they they felt like, um, you know, they're the people on the ground interacting with people and there's more nuance and things like that. But, you know, the idea of somebody coming in and taking over and making them be robots, I don't know, it just seems like that's appealing to them, you know? Yeah, and you also have, like, what is still going on and what was happening in the 80s is you're having corporations monopolizing and buying things and just treating mm-hmm. people like numbers or product instead of human beings. And you see that in here, yeah, that- like when, you know, he says he doesn't have a name. He's he's company product, you know. Yeah, and she's kind of like, okay. And like the way he really disrespects uh the the chief too um you know grabs him and he's like do you understand what i'm saying and like just really really rude and he's like yeah i i feel like the way he responds like is kind of like yeah i feel like i get it now in but in sort of like a condescending way and then when he leaves he's like that guy's an asshole which he's great (laughs) too because he's playing an archetype right that we know from action movies the grumpy curmudgeon police chief but he's got a little more depth to him than that but he's he's still playing that role but i Mm -hmm. feel like he's great too 
Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit of a look behind the curtain because it's kind of like, I think sometimes, you know, there would be a way where you could show this where it's like all the cops like this idea of a RoboCop and they like the militarization. And it's kind of like the army. They like that, you know, they like the idea of they're already used to taking commands. But the cops in this film, they really feel like they don't like that it's leaning that way. And they show it in very subtle ways. They don't, you know, he doesn't like actually go against them, but he's, you know, quietly aside to his other colleague, kind of like, I don't like this. I don't like that guy. I don't like what's happening. Which you know, is so, what, yeah. which you do in all companies you work with if you're like the middle suit, <laughs> middleman, low <laughs> right. supervisor, shift leader. You're like, okay, whatever. I'll do what you ask. But then you're like, your employee's like, I don't like this. We just have to do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so. Yeah. And again, I think it, it plays to like, the fact that they're kind of touching on some bigger themes, but always keeping it sort of light and like fun at the same time. It's an interesting balance there for sure. Yeah, I have heard one reviewer talk about this movie and he said there are great movies, there are good movies, there are terrible movies, and then there are cool movies. RoboCop is a cool movie. I, I have to agree with that. And also, we haven't talked about this aspect of it yet, but you know... Being somebody that's lived in, in Dallas all my life, you know, obviously this is, it says it's Detroit, but it's really Dallas. And, and there's many different scenes in the movie where I'm like, I know where they're at. <laughs> I was like, like, there's a scene, I think it was like at the gas station. I'm like, I feel like that's, that's on Lamar Street. You know, like, there's just so many moments where you're like, I know, of course, the biggest one is that iconic building uh, in the film that they make appear to be like so many stories. It's really like, I don't know, 10 stories, but. In the movie, they make it look huge. Um, they, I think they digitally added to it. Um, but yeah, I just, that's another like fun aspect for me. Is that the me. OCP Because <laughs> there's not a ton of movies in Dallas. Yeah, it's it's the one that's like slanted, like the at, at an angle. Yeah. And again, a, a part that sort of reminds me of the Peachtree Center in, um, in Dread. Like it kind of has that sort of aesthetic. I guess maybe Detroit and Dallas share a lot of architecture that's similar. I, I don't I know. I heard but... that they shot it in Dallas because the Dallas architecture looked more futuristic than in Detroit. Oh, yeah. I could see that at the time for sure. Which, I mean, Detroit before because Detroit, you know, realistically things have happened in Detroit. You know, people lost their jobs. People had to move. But I think traditionally mm -hmm. it's an older looking architecture because it's an older city than Dallas. That's a good point. Um, yeah, and I think architecture is like a big thing here. You know, there's a lot of art deco stuff too. Like there's just in a lot of the buildings, they have a lot of character. So they, they're pretty good for different things. I mean, you know, Logan's Run uh, was filmed in in Fort Worth at the Water Gardens. And, you know, so there's there's a lot of interesting locations here for sure. I know we're getting pressed for time, but there are two more points I wanted to hint. One, oh, go for what it. What did you like about like the mixture of newsreels with the commercials? And those are actually real news anchors at the time. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I did like that. I feel like right now because we're still kind of, you know, during the pandemic, we're watching a lot of news, right? So I think that those clips hit different right now. Um, but I think they speak again. It, it kind of reminds me of some other like 80s films um, like They Live. Um, well, uh, that's even live. more uh, so satirizing the Reagan. The yeah, Reagan yeah, guy, yeah. They live, which yeah. still yeah. frightenally feels okay. more relevant like, today than it did 
in the eighties. It it does, and and so yeah, this kind of critique of of uh, the news of media um, is prevalent in this movie, and I I feel like. I might be remembering this incorrectly, but I feel like in the 80s and 90s, I mean, now we're like so far ahead of this that we've moved on to worrying about other stuff. But I remember being like very concerned about advertisements and like the effect advertisements were having on us, that there were too many, that like it was hard to watch a show because there's too many ads and there's too many billboards everywhere. Like this used to be something we worried about. And now we're all just like, I'm fine with it. It's you know, like it's on our phones. It's everywhere now. But um I think it, it plays to that kind of fear at the time. Oh, for sure, for sure. But I just I just love the zaniness and uh, getting back to <laughs> the awareness of the clay, uh, the stop motion. We have a stop motion dinosaur advertising that ridiculous sports oh, yeah. car that they have in the movie. That's like eight point <laughs> two miles to the gallon. <laughs> and then of course yes. uh, Dick Jones's <laughs> death with the stop motion arms as he falls out of the building. Yes. I I don't know. It, it is fun and um I do it really enjoy those scenes. And they also kind of give you a break a little bit too cuz it's like I don't know, there's so much action and so much stuff going on. It's kind of fun to have those little little breaks in the film. Yeah, and like you said, it's a time capsule reminder of the era of filmmaking but yeah i love how unabashedly unapologetic they are about the use of it like they didn't try to hide it with models and so yeah we're we're having (laughs) to use what we can to keep the budget at a certain number yeah absolutely And you said there was something else to you. Oh, those were the two things I wanted to oh, cover. Okay. But yeah, I I think this movie is very nuanced, even though it's extremely violent. And at face value, you would think this movie is just a cheesy 80s action movie, which it is. But it's kind of <laughs> making fun of all of those tropes and archetypes and things that were going on in society. I mean, yeah. They kind of get the future wrong because they basically is just like, what if the future's just the 80s, right? Like, the tech. <laughs> yeah, it, it reminds you of, like, Back to the Future's version of the 80s. You know, like, I watching when, when they go back to the house and stuff, I don't know why, but it kind of reminded me of, like, the pizza scene in Back to the Future 2, <laughs> like, aesthetically, or, like, when they're supposed to be in the future, and the future's very apocalyptic. Um, yeah, it doesn't really... It ended up being an 80s time capsule, you know, Back to the Future did, instead of really being, like, accurately portraying the future. But that's that's part of the charm, and I think RoboCop is the same, where it's like, you don't watch it now and think about the future, you think about the 80s, but the aesthetic is really good, and it's it just adds to it, I think. Yeah, because, you know, we have huge computers still, they still have square televisions, <laughs> um, yeah, so they just kind of, like, base the future of, like, well, let's just take the 80s tech and give it a little fancier upgrade. But it's basically the 80s, right? Yeah, much like Total Recall kind of ends up being the same, where it's like, doesn't really show the future. A lot of violence, like, I mean, that that would actually be another good pick for another time. No one's picked that one either. And I, yeah, I really, that I, movie, I really but, like yeah. most of his American filmography. I have not seen Showgirls. I know that it's, I haven't it's an either. infamous movie. 
Uh, I, I yes. remember it being like a forbidden <laughs> porno as a kid. Like, oh, don't watch that movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I know that it has its fans now. Like, it has a cult following. It's got a cult following. And yeah, I'm not sure. a big fan of Hollow Man, but even that is more. I remember seeing Hollow Man. It's more interesting. But I don't remember than much about it. Other people's worst movies. So if that's your worst movie, like <laughs> you're not doing too bad. Um, I've never seen any of his earlier Dutch films. I know those are kind of hard to track down, and I've never seen any of his movies post Hollow Man, like because he goes back to his home country and he's made a couple of movies people like, like Black Book and uh, L, which have gotten a lot of acclaim. Which still deal with ultra violence and ultra sexuality. So these are recurring themes for him. <laughs> He's comfortable with it. Um, well, that brings me to my last couple of quick questions for you. Then, um, if you had to summarize it, uh, why do you think you why do you think this movie sticks with you so much? I mean, you loved it as a kid. We we all did if we grew up in the eighties. But why does it uh, resonate for you today? I think it resonates with me today. One, as we were talking about, what the technology looks like, kind of keeps it in a time capsule even though it's supposed to be a futuristic world i feel like with that and its uh satirization it kind of sums up the entire genre of what an 80s action movie is and it's why i feel like it's the ultimate 80s action movie i don't know if it's my favorite 80s action movie but it's definitely in the top five for me and it's probably in my top 10 all-time action movie list because um each time I've watched it, it's like I grow a bigger appreciation for it because I feel like it gets sometimes overlooked by some of the more beloved films of the era like Die Hard and Terminator 2 and Aliens, but I feel like it's right up there with those. And I also feel like the themes that it's satirizing, like we talked about, the militarization of the police, of corporate corporations sucking up everything and taking out individualism and you know the cities are facing the costs of real estate going up and you're losing a lot of the character of neighborhoods because of corporations kind of buying and rising prices of real estate i feel like the things this movie's talking about even though they're doing it in a comedic manner still feel relevant to what's happening in society and i think that kind of makes it a more important film than people might think it is even though people are like i agree come on cody it's a movie about a robot cop it's not that deep <laughs> no it's not a deep movie but i think there is some interesting subtext there's some depth to it i think yeah. there's some interesting um, subtext going on if you watch closely I think that that's a good pitch to to a younger generation like you know number one if if you want to watch something that is nostalgic this is a good fit you know like hey want to see something that enca encapsulates the 80s maybe you've just finished I guess this is kind of dated now too but Stranger Things or I don't know you're into something that's a little retro and you want to see something but that has a message that does speak to people today I mean things have changed since 1987 but there are some concerns that we have with those issues that you already talked about that i think we're still kind of struggling with so i think it could i think younger audiences could still relate to it. oh absolutely and um even though i think this movie is probably considered more pro-police i think it definitely <laughs> looks at the problems that the police departments have going on right now and have been going on i agree 
And also, I would say well, this, if you... this this response to crime that you know if crime's getting out of control, the answer is you know robots that don't have the ability to make decisions, uh, you know, like a human would that that removes that human element from their interactions. I, I don't think the movie's saying that's a good thing. The corporations certainly see that as a good thing in the movie, but you know, the other characters are like, hey, that 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 would be bad if you know there's not a human being mitigating in these circumstances when interacting with other humans. Um, like you said, the militarization of the police in the movie, it's not seen as like a, a good response to the to the crime rate. No, and I would also recommend this movie to people who, if you love like the John Wick or the Mission Impo- the newer Mission Impossible movies, if you like, because I consider those like some of the, the better action films going on right now. If you like Agreed. those, yeah. or even if you, if you're, oh my God, young enough to have never seen the original Matrix, or you have seen the original Matrix, I, <laughs> I think you should check RoboCop out because I feel like it's in the company of those type of movies. It should be. Absolutely. It is one of the finest action films ever made. And I think the mistake that the sequels and the remake make is they're not in on the joke as much, right? They kind of are a little more serious or they go a little more are mm. too silly. And I think the biggest mistake the sequels make is putting the helmet back. They make the Kylo Ren mistake, right? Put the helmet back on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like once it's off, that should be part of. Yeah. I totally see that. Um, yeah. That's. I haven't watched the other ones, if I'm honest. I always stuck with just the first one. So I've, I guess I've been spared so far. I know some people really like the sequels. Yeah. But, there's. Um, I think that's the danger in a lot of franchises where they're like, oh, they want more of this. And it's like, well. If it's good, yeah, but it, it seems like sometimes they kind of give you too much of a good thing almost. I know a lot of people love kind of have an appreciation for the second one, but the third one, if I remember, is pretty much garbage. And the remake <laughs> wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but, like, it has no personality. Like, it's just... It's uh, it's the it's the it's just the sub-pitch of what this movie's plot is without the subtext. Oh, me. gotcha. Well, um, well, Cody, thank you for coming on today. And, and where can people find you? Oh, well, you can find me on Facebook at Cody's Film Page. You can find me at Twitter and Letterboxd at FilmNerd85. Uh, you can also hear me on Pond's Press podcasts, which are on Spotify, Podbeam, basically anywhere where podcasts are found where we review the newest movies and this week we are reviewing a film on netflix that was directed by amy poehler called moxie which is actually pretty good i liked it and we're gonna be oh i need to check it out. we're gonna be talking about the first episode of falcon and the winter soldier and nice. maybe the very um what's the word i'm looking for uh polarizing Snyder Cut version of <laughs> Justice League. I'm so sorry, Cody. I'm like, literally, I'm about to actually jump in a one o'clock meeting, so I gotta nope, let you no, go. No, you're but fine. We'll wrap up here real quick. I'll just say, Cody, thank you so much for coming on. This was a great discussion. I'm so glad you picked this movie. I used it for my, you know, St. Patrick's Day celebration yesterday at home, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, I loved watching it again, so thank you, and, and I can't wait to have you Oh, it's, again, an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, 
I guess apologies that I did not pick a more St. Patrick's theme movie, but <laughs> well, it comes out after St. Patrick's Day. So uh, I it, I just went to Detroit, so I felt like it was like let's revisit RoboCop. And yes, I'd love to come back on your show. Uh, anytime, just let me know. 